As a parent, should you train your children to be polite and say thank you, even if they're not feeling thankful in their heart? Here's Barbara Rainey. There were plenty of times when our kids said, ah, thanks, or they said it and you could tell it wasn't really heartfelt. But they need to be trained to say thank you because, as we've already said, it's not natural. And so that was a really big thing for me was to teach our kids to say thank you whenever they were given something or helped or served. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We're going to continue to talk today about what moms and dads can do to help their children become more grateful. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. You know, um, we had the opportunity, uh, this was not long ago, when our family was together, and we were talking about what are the things that they remember from growing up. What are what are some of their favorite memories? It's interesting to me how many memories your kids have from when they're growing up are connected to holidays and vacations. Mm-hmm. And can I add one thing? Yeah. A, additional, a tradition that is attached to a holiday or a vacation. Well, and, and that's, when we're in the midst of it, I mean, we know that vacations are fun and that holidays are fun, but I don't know that we realize how significant these things are, how much a part of the memory bank of a a child, uh, what you're going to do for Thanksgiving this year, what you're going to do for Christmas this year, or what you do next summer on vacation. You are building a memory bank for your kids that will define in large measure. It's a part of what they take with them into adulthood. It is, and and, um, I was looking through some documents that I had to kind of cataloged some of our early Christmases together as as our kids begin to get married and bring their spouses to to uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. And uh, it was interesting. Some of the things that were written were thoughts by a new son-in-law or daughter-in-law saying, I love the fact that we got a chance to see a different tradition or a new tradition that perhaps we can make a part of our family mm. as we establish our own. And I think it's that longing you're talking about, Bob. They, When your children grow up, they're going to anchor their own family around these holidays. And they, for the most part, are holidays that represent biblical truths and biblical holidays that families have been entrusted to to help their children celebrate. And uh, I'm fortunate that I uh, outpunted my coverage and that I married Barbara <laughs> because uh, she brought this strong emphasis. Not that I didn't have one from my own childhood. I did. But she brought a, an even stronger emphasis around the holidays, but around celebrating them and the biblical message that each holiday brought. Barbara, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Did you recognize as a young mom that holidays and celebrations and vacations, that these are important for how your kids grow up and develop? I don't think I understood the value of vacations as much because we didn't do a lot of vacations in my childhood growing up. But holidays were always really important to me as a kid. I intuitively knew, and I think this is true for all kids, I intuitively knew that there was something meaningful, something really important, and I couldn't express it. I didn't know what it was, but there was something about Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter 
that was more meaningful and more important than anything else we did the rest of the year. And so as we got married, one of my objectives and goals was to try and find ways to make those holidays meaningful and especially to make them meaningful biblically because God made it really clear in the Old Testament when he established the feasts that the nation of Israel was to keep that setting aside your normal ordinary activities and focusing on him and having a holiday or a feast or a time away from work he knew that was important for us as people mm. and today we don't celebrate those feasts but we we celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving here in America, and we celebrate Easter. And those are very important spiritual, religious holidays. We are, as we invest in in these moments, we're, we're building a memory box, mm-hmm. a memory mm-hmm. bank. And I don't know if we've ever stopped to think about how important remembering is, mm-hmm. how important reflecting on the past is. But when you when you have a mom or a dad who starts to lose touch with their past, mm-hmm. when you see people who start to lose memories, you recognize they're losing a big part of their life. Yeah, and it's really sad, too. I mean, we all struggle with it. All of us do every day. We misplace our keys. We can't find our purse. We for, You know, kids forget their shoes, don't know where their backpack is. So that's really normal. But when you start losing big chunks, that just lets us know how fragile life is and how hard it is to capture and keep the things that are most meaningful and most important in life. You've been digging around in the scriptures to see what God's Word has to say about remembering Mm -hmm. and why remembering is so important, right? Mm -hmm. You know, out of all of these verses that there are in the scriptures about giving thanks and thanksgiving and being grateful, one of my favorites is one that says it in the opposite way. And that's Psalm 103, where we're commanded to forget not his benefits. And it's the opposite of remembering. They're two sides of the same coin. But it's a different way to look at it when you think about don't forget what God has done, because we're all so prone to forget, right? All of us forget a whole host of things. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Don't forget what I've done. You can forget your car keys and all that kind of stuff, but don't forget what I've done because what I have done is the most important thing that you can remember. If you lose your car keys, that's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. fact, we had this happen. Marianne lost a set of car keys earlier this summer and they were gone for about a month. And I don't know if you know if you've priced what it costs to get <laughs> yes, your we car have. keys. <laughs> yeah. It's more than I paid for my first car. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, so we, you know, we were praying. She, she, I know it's got to be around here. Well, it was, it was inconvenient. And the day we found the car keys, it was like there they were, and we rejoiced and we were yeah. glad. There's a difference between the inconvenience of mm-hmm. missing car keys and the loss if you start forgetting the goodness of God mm-hmm. in the past. In fact, how we live by faith today is really vitally connected to our recollection of God's faithfulness in, in the, the past. past. Correct. And what we're talking about here is spiritual amnesia. It's forgetting what God's done for you. And the Bible spells it out. He tells us what the benefits are in Psalm 103. You know, he's the one who saved us. He is the one who is near the brokenhearted. He is the one who gives good gifts to his children. I think when we forget what God has done, there is a progression that takes place. I think we soon forget who he is, and then we forget how to trust him. And we forget that in the crisis and in a tough moment, 
that the same God who gave you those benefits is also in those tough moments and wants you to reach out to him and depend upon him in faith. So all of the work that goes into making a holiday like Thanksgiving or like Christmas memorable, something that the Mm -hmm. family will appreciate and enjoy, I think at the end of those meals or the end of those celebrations, moms can often feel like, boy, that was a lot of work. I don't know that that was (laughs) worth all the work. But now from the perspective Mm -hmm. of decades, you look back and go, it was worth it because these are the deposits that we placed in the lives of our kids. Yeah, and I think what happens is for moms especially is that we we gauge the success of the event, so to speak, or the dinner or whatever on the responses that we get from our kids. At least I did. And so if they're complaining about what I fixed, which was really a big deal and took a lot of time and energy – then I feel like a failure. I feel like I didn't match up. It it wasn't what I had hoped it would be. It was a loss or the kids aren't going to remember. It wasn't really the investment. And so the problem I think is, is that we look too often for, for the kind of feedback that we want when it's really just an investment. We're investing in their lives. We're making deposits in their lives. We're feeding them truth. We're reminding them of what's most important. And that adds up over time. It does add up over time. In fact, what you're doing is you're making deposits that are relational as well. You're expressing love. You're giving children a place to belong to, a place Mm -hmm. to come home to. And uh, I love it that uh, a clipping I have from a number of years ago that an insurance company back in Massachusetts commissioned a survey to find out if family members would take $1,000 and not go home for Thanksgiving. And the majority of family members said, you can keep the 1000 bucks. Mm. I want to go home. And I think what it's telling us is we want to belong to a group of people that know how to celebrate life, that know how to do life together, even as imperfect as we are. And I don't want to create this picture, Bob, that our Thanksgiving celebrations... This Norman Rockwell thing? Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. (laughs) I mean, flipping peas across the table, (laughs) sliding down underneath the table. I mean, you know, it was anything but the ideal picture of a family. It's a bunch of human beings that all struggle with being selfish. But it's, it's in a family where you knock the edges off, you know? And if you got your kids together today and you talked about memories, they'd say, oh, I remember how I used to flick peas at, yes. at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how much fun we had. <laughs> yeah. And how we laughed. And how Dad flicked a few at us yeah. after a while. Well, it's that sense of belonging that God created in us. We want to belong. And family is the best place for that to happen. And so when you go to the trouble to make Thanksgiving extra special and more important than another meal that you might have the rest of the year, that it does stand out in the minds of the kids, and it is worth it. You found something as you were looking at the Bible that kind of surprised you, and that is that the omniscient God who forgets nothing writes stuff down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really is interesting. I started noticing that there were these books that God refers to books in the Bible, and I'm thinking— there must be a library, a really big library in heaven. And so I started looking at some of these. And you're not talking about the books of the Bible now. No, I'm talking about other books. 
Oh, yeah. Lots of other books. Like, for instance? There are three books that I found. There may be more, but there are three that I found that God has in his library in heaven. And one of them is the book of the Lamb. And that's where the names of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ are written in this book. And I'm thinking it must be a really big, thick book. Mm-hmm. Then there's another book that is referred to in Psalm 56, 8. David said, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? So God has some kind of a book in heaven where he writes down all of our concerns, all of the things that plague us and worry us that we toss and turn in the middle of the night over and we cry over our losses. God keeps track of all of those. He keeps our tears in his bottle. That's amazing thought. And then the third book that I found, and this is more than one book, in Revelation it says, and the books, plural, were opened, and they were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So there is a collection of books in which are written all of the deeds of every single one of us. And I started thinking about biographies. Biographies can be pretty thick books, but that's just a piece of somebody's life. That's not all of their deeds. So these must be really big books, and there must be lots of them if God is writing down and recording everything that we've done. And again, it's not because he can't can't remember remember it. (laughs) So the, the writing down is a way of making permanent, keeping a record of... I think it's for us. ...what's important, yeah. Yeah, I think it's for us, not him. And what I'd want your children to know as you approach Thanksgiving is that first book Barbara mentioned, the book of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. You want your kids' names. Mm -hmm. You want your name written in that book because Mm -hmm. that's a book that records the people who have placed their faith. That's right. In the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That's right. Who died for your sins. And if you'll place your faith in him, not only will he ink you in the book, he will welcome you into heaven. Yeah, your name in the book is your ticket into heaven. Hmm. If your name is found written in the book of life of the Lamb, then you're in. And Thanksgiving ought to be a time when each of us as followers of Christ celebrate the fact that, yes, we have come to that point in our lives mm-hmm. of placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the benefits he's given us is eternal life, forgiveness of sins. We ought to be passing that on to our children and using this holiday coming up to proclaim the gospel and tell your kids, you want them to come where you're going to be. Tell them you want them to be where God's going to be. You want to be in heaven for eternity. (laughs) You mentioned the verse in Psalm 103 that says, forget not all his benefits. The Bible really spells out for us the reasons why we are not to forget. There are dangers that come when we forget the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Well, there's another psalm not far after 103. It's Psalm 106, and it's a really long psalm, and it's one of Dennis's favorites, right? <laughs> it is. The first 25 verses. Folks, if you've not read it, I just want to challenge you to read Psalm 106, verses 1 through 25, and follow the progression yeah. of what happens when we forget what God has done. And so briefly, before you read it, here's what happened when God's children forgot what he had done. First of all, they didn't consider. So that means they didn't think about God's wondrous works. They didn't even think about what God had done. And then the second thing that happened is they didn't remember. So if you're not thinking about it, you're not going to remember, which means you forgot. They forgot the abundance of God's love. 
Then the third thing that happened is they soon forgot his works and they didn't wait for his counsel. They just ran right ahead and made their own decisions. They didn't stop and pray. They didn't think about what God wanted them to do. They just went and did their own thing. Then the fourth step in this downward spiral is they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, Hmm. wondrous works and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So these great memorable moments of God parting the Red Sea, they'd even forgotten those. You would think you wouldn't forget the Red Sea, but they forgot the Red Sea. But before you go on, that yes. just strikes my uh, my memory of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's great message at Harvard. It was entitled, Men Have Forgotten God. Mm-hmm. And this is the progression we follow, not they. Yeah. We follow when we forget what God has done, we forget his love, we forget who he is, and then we forget forget him, and we fail to trust him at key points in our lives. Well, and that's really the next thing it says in, in the psalm is that not only did they forget the miraculous things mm-hmm. God had done, but it led them to a place of just disregard for God altogether. Yeah, they didn't have faith anymore. And so what it illustrates by contrast is is that when you remember what God has done and you focus on what he has given, then your faith grows. And so the consequences for them is that their faith just withered up and dried up and blew away. But when we focus on what he's done, our faith is strengthened. And verse 25 says, and they grumbled in their tents. And what have we been talking about here? Grumbling. We've been talking about the opposite of giving thanks is grumbling, is griping, is complaining, is having discontent. I think this holiday coming up is a great time to be spiritually recentered on who God is and just revisit all his benefits and what he has done for you as individuals, but also as a family. So if a mom is saying to herself today, okay, I really do want Thanksgiving to be memorable. I remember Marianne coming to me. This was uh, back at the beginning of the summer, and we were getting ready to go on vacation, and she was talking about wanting the vacation to have some significance, not just to be a time when we had nice meals together, but let's have some weight to this. Mm -hmm. So if a mom's thinking, I want Thanksgiving to have some some importance to it and some weight to it. Are you saying that you would have just made it a vacation of nice meals? I'm just saying sometimes our priorities are not exactly aligned. But she she wanted it to be something that had purpose and meaning. And a mom who's listening today say, I want Thanksgiving to have some purpose and some meaning for our family. And and if you're going to coach her on how to do that without putting her under the pile— Because that's the competing dilemma here, right? So how does she do it? Well, one suggestion is to expose your children to those who have less. I know a lot of families who over the Thanksgiving or the Christmas holiday will take their entire family and go to a homeless shelter or to a soup kitchen and serve those people who, who come there. It's a way to... Put your children in touch with those who have less Mm -hmm. because it puts their life in perspective. I've talked to a lot of kids who have come back from summer missions trips Mm -hmm. to third world countries Mm -hmm. and a week seeing how other people live. They've got a little different focus on on what they have to have as they head back to school. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to tell parents is when your kids get old enough, when they're early 
teens or when you feel like there is the right age for them, send them on a mission trip and don't send them to an easy place, which all of us yeah, go to as parents third. want our kids to have a, have a comfortable experience because we're afraid for them. But they need to go to a hard place. Yeah. They need to go to Haiti or Guatemala or somewhere where they see kids in orphanages or they're out on the street and they see the people who live in the slums or the street children. Because then when they come back to America, it's like I really do have it really, really good. So is there a way, I mean, if, you, if you're not going to do the soup kitchen, is there a way as you lead up to Thanksgiving that you can help your kids mm-hmm. understand that most people don't have as much as they have mm-hmm. or that we have in this country? I think one of the easiest ways to help children um, get in touch with the benefits that they currently enjoy is to read stories to them about people who have far less. Mm-hmm. Take them to someone else's life Um, where they can hear about a story about someone else who suffered or who had some difficult circumstances. We've put together um, a resource called Written and Remembered. And in that resource, there's a small book, and it has four stories. You can read one of those stories each of the four weeks of the month of November. You can read them every day for four days. But what makes these stories unique is that there is a practical application at the end of the story that helps the children experience or act on what they felt coming out of the story. So, for instance, the first story is about Johnny Erickson Tata. And Johnny Erickson Tata is a woman who is paralyzed and has been in a wheelchair since she was 17 years old. And she's now in her early 60s. And so the activity for that, after you read this very compelling story about Johnny and how she is one of the most joyous people you will ever meet, and she gives thanks on all things, the activity is for everyone to sit in a chair and not move and think about what it must feel like to be a quadriplegic, to sit in a wheelchair. You can't scratch your nose. You can't get up and go to the bathroom. You can't feed yourself. You can't do anything. And just the exercise of helping your children sit still for a few minutes, the longer the better, but to help them experience what that must be like is a way to help them enter into someone else's world and then, by contrast, look at their own and say, oh, I really have it good. Mm. Another one of the stories is about a man who contracted meningitis, and he went from being active and healthy and fully able to do everything to losing his memory, um, eventually going blind, but needing a lot of care. And so as you read that story together, the activity at the end is to make a list of everyone who serves you. And this man, John Bishop, had to be served. He had to be taught to eat. He had to be taught to walk. He had all these people that, because they loved him and cared for him, taught him to regain the use of his arms and his legs and learn how to speak again. So as a family, if you can sit down together after reading that story and think, how many people serve us on a regular basis that we just walk by? Well, there's the postman, and there are teachers, and there are the checkout people at the grocery store, and maybe the person who bags your groceries at the grocery store. But if you will stop and think about who are all the people that serve us on a regular basis, and then the resource comes with some cards, and as a family, you can write thank you notes and take a thank you note to the checkout lady at the grocery store, or the bagger, or the postman, or whoever it might be. But again, it's a practical way to help your children think about being thankful, being grateful, 
for all of the things that that are in their lives that serve them, that make life comfortable. And a lot of kids are going to, when they're 25 and 30 years old, remember taking thank you notes to the lady at the checkout counter Mm -hmm. at the grocery store. Because who does that? That's right. They'll never forget how mom had us do that, Mm -hmm. and it was meaningful to them. And whether or not the kids remembered it or not, promise you the lady at the checkout counter yeah mm-hmm. won't ever forget it i was checking out at the counter the other day and i forget what caused me to turn to the woman and just say something personal to her and i don't remember exactly what it was but that i paused and engaged her as a human being was fascinating she was like a rose that moved from being a bud mm-hmm to a beautiful human being reflecting the image of God. And she began to share how she had a teenage daughter that was struggling. And I was able to take a few moments and just minister to her. I think we're walking by people left Mm -hmm. and right in this culture who if we give them a good word of thanksgiving, of appreciation, as Barbara's talking about, just saying, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for how you've served me and my family. It's going to make a huge difference in their lives. We treat a lot of them like automatons and like robots and just like you're just there to perform. Why don't you just say robot? Because I'm trying to sound (laughs) impressive with automaton. I've never heard the word. You haven't heard of automaton? I've heard it, but I've never tried to say it. I'm not sure I've ever heard the word still. (laughs) (laughs) But your point's a, a good point, which is when we're in those situations, uh, what happens in, in that moment is a reflection of what was in our heart in the first place. And if if we're not people who have hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude, uh, if we're just so focused on our own agenda, that's what's going to spill out in the TSA line or wherever else we are where we're not showing worth or value or dignity to other people. This is one of the reasons why we encourage people to take advantage of of a holiday called Thanksgiving and use it to cultivate that spiritual discipline in your own life and in the lives of your family members. And again, we've got resources to help make that happen in your home, whether it's the written and remembered resource we've already talked about today that you can use at the Thanksgiving meal or the book that you've written, Barbara, Thanksgiving, A Time to Remember, uh, which is available both in hardback book and on audio CD or other resources that are designed with the idea of promoting gratitude in mind. Go to our website, familylifetoday.com. Click the link in the upper left-hand corner of the screen that says Go Deeper and look for information there about the written and remembered resource that Barbara has created for the Thanksgiving meal, uh, the Thanksgiving A Time to Remember book, and the other resources that we have available to help you cultivate uh, a heart of Thanksgiving for your family. Go to familylifetoday.com, click the link that says Go Deeper, and the resources are all available right there. Or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. That's 1-800-358-6329. 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. And uh, you can order any of these resources from us over the phone as well. We ought to uh, take just a minute here and just let our listeners know how thankful we are that they join us each day for this program. Those of you who tune in regularly, always happy to uh, to have this time together with you. And it's encouraging to us when we hear from listeners as well. Some of you will get in touch with us from time to time and let us know how God is using this ministry in your life. And we appreciate those of you who make this program possible through your financial support of Family Life Today. 
the cost of producing and syndicating this program is covered by listeners like you who will pitch in occasionally. Or we have a team of uh, what we call legacy partners, those who are contributing monthly to help defray the costs associated with this program. Thank you to those of you who are legacy partners or who uh, occasionally will make a donation in support of the ministry. If you can help with a donation today, we'd like to send you uh, a devotional book that Barbara Rainey has written on the subject of gratitude. It's called Growing Together in Gratitude, Seven Stories About Being Grateful. And it's our gift to you when you make a donation today. Go to familylifetoday.com, click the link in the upper right-hand corner of the screen that says I Care, make an online donation, or call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make your donation over the phone, or mail your donation to us at Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas. Our zip code is 72223. Now, tomorrow, we're going to continue to uh, explore this issue of gratitude and things we can do to promote Thanksgiving in our own heart and in our families. Hope you can tune in for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.